No? We're good? Okay. So, today's topic is about prana. Prana is a Sanskrit word that is translated as energy. or life energy. Prana, the word prana literally means that which causes movement, that which moves. So, movement is caused by energy, life energy. So I'll explore this in great detail today and then we will uh, connect it, we will link it, how it's related to meditation. So, prana can be experienced, there is individual prana, let's call it this way, What's the experience of individual prana? One of the first uh, experiences, or one of the main experiences of individual prana is mental energy. Okay. The energy, and of course the other one is physical energy. Yeah, 500 kilos. He's able to take, you know, this 
weights of 500 kilos and lift it up and walk out Muhammad. It's a documentary if you want to watch it. It's called The Game Changers. If, you, if you're ever doubting what uh, uh, a vegetarian or a vegan diet is efficient and protein and all that stuff, that documentary clears it up for you. I recommend you watch one of your cinemas, The Game Changers. They talk about the gladiators in Rome, how they discovered that the gladiators in Rome's their main, uh, their main diet was vegan. Barley and, and beans, basically. Yeah, they, used to, they used to be called barley eaters. Anyway, putting that aside, so the strongest man on the planet is, is he can take 500 kilos, it's a lot, 500 kilos, put it on his shoulders and walk. So all that physical, all that strength of his muscles, all that strength in his tendons and his ligaments, he's able to push against gravity. So he's got that amount of physical pride. Okay? So physical prana is one aspect of your experience of prana. So he's taking off his shirt. Physical prana. Uh, one of the strongest men, like this man, I don't know how, they never measured him. I can't remember his name. Uh, the lion, I can pick it up and, and send it to you. Actually, I can dig it up now. He used to be uh, Bruce Lee. He's an interesting character when it comes to prana. Bruce Lee was able to lift up to, I think, 180 kilos and hold it for one minute in one hand. And he was very thin. You know, he wasn't big, you know, he was actually very thin, but he was able to hold it like that for a minute. That's a lot of strength. That's a lot of physical strength. Okay? And his inspiration was an Indian man. Okay? I'll dig up his name for you right now. His inspiration was an Indian man who was, uh, who was a wrestler and who was also a, he was also a kind of yogi. One of his trainings was to do plank pose, danda, chaturanga, and chair pose. He used to do, I think, 2,000 to katasanas and 1,500 planks. That was his training every day. <laughs> and that's how he was, uh, that's how he would get his strength. He would drink, he would eat five kilos of almonds a day. <laughs> and uh, there's, just, there's a lot of stories. Once in his village, who here has been to India? So if you've been to India, you see that the cows have a very nonchalant attitude in India, when it comes to, uh, you know, traffic and all that, right? Quite a few times I've been in a train ride in India, 
and the train stops. The train stops. And sometimes it stops right. Because a cow just sat there on the, on the rails and wouldn't move. And you know, they don't beat the cow. They, nowadays they do, but at that time they were very respectful. You know, so they would try to usher her, you know, please move, please move. Sometimes it would take hours. Okay? Uh, so there's quite a few stories of this man. Trying to get his name. Um, once there was a cow that stood there on the road and wouldn't move. So he came, he lifted the cow on his shoulder and took. So that's the kind of yeah, his name is Pehalwan. Gamma Pehalwan. You can Google him. Gamma, Gamma Pehalwan. He was considered at one point the strongest man on the planet. You know, he was from India. So Bruce Lee studied him a lot of the stuff he did so that he would get that kind of physical strength. So you will find that a lot of, uh, a lot of physical strength, a lot of the pioneers come from that region. You know, from the Indian region, the Vedic region, you would find that. You know, uh, for example, the push-ups, and push-ups especially, come from India. And it is, and, and done, when done properly, like this they would do, it strengthens your entire body. Okay? Anyway, why I'm bringing this up, it's because the Vedic tradition, the yogic tradition, dedicated a lot of time and energy to study how to develop physical prana. So asanas actually done in a, in a proper way can give you a lot of physical prana. Okay, it doesn't take away prana, it actually gives you, it increases the physical element of it. Okay? And there is mental energy, there is mental prana. So, what is mental energy? What is mental prana? Okay? It begins with emotional strength. What's emotional strength? According to yoga literature, emotional strength is the ability to deal with negative emotions without escaping. That's what actually emotional strength is. So we all, throughout the day, are going to feel some type of negative emotion. Something. Somebody's going to do to us. Somebody's going to say the wrong thing, or we're going to say the wrong thing, or we're going to do the wrong thing. Something is going to happen. Okay? How do you deal with that negative emotion defines your mental energy? Or, Put the other way, how much mental energy, how much prana you have, is going to decide how do you deal with that negative emotion. It's going to decide how much emotional strength you have. Can you say that again? Like having emotional strength means you can deal with emotions without escaping. escaping. Okay. So emotional strength is defined has the ability to deal with negativity without escaping. Can I just say one thing? All this is saying, energy is 
It depends on how you use it. But yeah, it depends. It's neutral actually. Prana is neutral, it just depends on how you use it. Okay? So emotional strength. It's it comes from having mental prana. Okay. So how does another thing that is defined as mental prana is intellectual vigor? The ability to take a concept and go deep into it. You know, that kind of intellectual vigor. You know, a lot of the times now, because of all this audiovisual stuff, we become intellectually lazy. There is no intellectual vigor. But, you know, if you study, for example, you know, the scholars in the West or in the East, you know, you study the people who did. You know, I was reading about Heisenberg. You know, this guy, they would, you know, when he tried to figure out the principle of uncertainty. But if you study quantum mechanics, you know, Bohr's interpretation of quantum mechanics, they spend 10, 16 hours a day going from one thing to another, to another, to another thing. They reach something, you know, Einstein. A lot of intellectual vigor. There was no Instagram reels at that time. So intellectual vigor comes from prana. The ability to go deep into a subject matter. So if you develop individual prana, you will get mental energy and you will get emotional strength, which means you are able to deal with negativity without escaping. And then you get intellectual vigor which means you are able to go deep into a subject matter. You're not intellectually lazy. Then if you do that, life is not too complex, isn't it? Think about it. So if you're able to deal with the negativity of the world, and if you're able to solve, to go deep into your own issues, then life becomes quite simple, actually. So that simplicity of life is made possible by the cultivation of prana. Any questions so far? When you say deal with negativity, what do you mean by deal with? You encounter, you face, you live it. So let's say Padma comes and tells you something negative. <laughs> let's say he comes and says, I don't know, you know what, that shirt that you're wearing is not enough. Let me be changed. Then you have good taste in clothes. <laughs> negative, right? So, if you have... It's an example. Even though. So if you have a lot of prana, if you have a lot of prana, mental prana, how you deal with that, how do you encounter that, how do you face that, you just laugh. Yeah. It doesn't affect you. No. So dealing with it means it doesn't affect you. Is that how you're trying to define it? No, no. Dealing with it means you face it. Mm -hmm. That's what dealing with it means. You face it. Okay. Now, 
whether it affects you or not, you or not it depends on your level of prana. A high level of prana, you will not be affected. A low level of prana, you would be affected. If there is no prana in your mind, any negativity that you deal with, that you face, is going to affect you. So you find that a lot in your, in your, in your daily interchanges. If you haven't slept well, for example. So lack of sleep reduces prana. So if you haven't slept well, it's, it's when you deal with, with issues, you deal on another level. So prana gives you mental energy, and mental energy gives you emotional strength, which enables you to deal with the issue on a higher level. No prana, no emotional strength. Okay. So is it the same as like you're able to process the thing that happened instead of not being able to integrate it and it kind of depletes your energy? You could say that you're able to process it. But the word process is a little bit misleading. Because if Padma comes. It's a little bit misleading because there is not much time for integration and processing. If Padma comes and says, Prem, you know, I hate your classes. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> there is microseconds. He's a very positive man. He's very positive. <laughs> but if somebody comes, oh, I remember I tell you a story once. I said, I was, I was once, not about Padma. I was in South, <laughs> I was in South America. I, I was giving lectures like this a lot. You know? And by God's grace, they were somewhat well received. Very well received, actually. But I remember I gave a lecture once, and I was standing outside. I was sitting outside during the break. And a woman approached me and said, You know, I heard your lecture. You have a lot to learn. She read more, selling more. I'm not kidding. She just came up to approach me and said, You should read more, selling more. Okay. Yeah. Then I went back. Yeah. She was there. And then the next lecture, she was also there. <laughs> and the next one, she was also there. And she signed up for a big course that I did. <laughs> Never understood what she meant. You know. And those were paid. You know, she was paying money to come and listen. But yeah, so when you're in a high state of prana, those things don't really affect you. There is no real time to process. So what I mean is, okay, so my father was, I have this teacher and he said that when things happen to you and they're challenging, they become problems, like inside of us, almost like parts of us. And instead of that, if we are able to have like a lot of data and a lot of prana, then what happens is it just flows out, like inside of you and just out. It just goes like this. Instead I of I wouldn't look at it that way because I don't think there is enough time for freezing. You understand? I think the, the reaction is very quick. I would look at it more like how, how am I perceiving this? Somebody comes and tells me something negative. High plan allows me to perceive this or to put it aside, to not even consider it. You know, just go, I'm, I'm, I'm not advanced or any evolved by any measure. But I do remember sitting there and I just go and do my lecture again. I didn't even stop thinking, you know. What did she mean? What did I do? Should I prepare more? Oh my God, now she do a PowerPoint. No, no, that ends in my head. There's no time. It's just 
yeah, there, when there is prana, there is, there is processing to make, it's a little bit misleading. But it's not prana, it just bounces immediately. So you see people with high levels of prana that do that. They just don't get affected. There is not thinking involved, there is nothing involved, it's just an automatic process. That's Whereas you see people with low levels of prana, mental energy, when something negative is, oh my god, there's a huge drama. Because big drama. Okay? Any questions? No? Yes. I mean, crazy Good, that was my next one. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm explaining this just to make a point that the level of prana in your life makes a huge difference. Huge difference, actually. Just prana. I'm not talking about anything else. I'm not talking about your meditation. I'm not talking about faith. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that in the, the prana, the energy that is in your mind, and the prana, the energy that is in your body, just that in itself makes a huge, huge change. So when you study yoga in its traditional sense, you have got two, two aspects of yoga, asanas and pranayama, which are meant to increase prana. That's the actual process. That's why yoga is a very complete process. You know? Anything you want to do in your life, especially any change that you want to create in your life, is going to require prana. Any change, anything, that, that step forward that you want to take, that project that you want to undertake, or that change of habit that you want to do, or letting go of the past, you know, letting go of things, or even falling in love, even entering a relationship, all that requires a lot of prana. It's a big difference with you, when you love somebody without prana, or you love somebody with prana. Huge difference. Okay, so any change, anything, anything in life, prana is required. That's why if you study yoga in its complete form, <coughs> cultivation of prana, the development of prana becomes very important. Can I ask you about the same physical energy? Yes. For example, when I meditation, Try to meditate something, but uh, what happens when the mind this moment of no concentration? Is it anything negative or is it? Yeah, so con the ability to concentrate will give you mental trauma. Mm -hmm. If you actually make the effort to concentrate, let's say you're not very scattered, right? you wake up and your mind is all over yeah, the place, right? Okay. You don't have no concentration. Yeah. So then you have to sit down and focus on something. That habit of focusing on something will give you prana. So in karma yoga, they make you focus on activity. Just the ability to focus on a particular activity. So let's say if you're cooking, right? Follow recipe. Be surgical when you follow recipe. Be exact, be precise. You know that requires focus, you know, and when you're making something with your hand. You are decorating something. The more focus you have, 
that leads to concentrate the helicon. But if you are all over the place, if you perform an activity without concentration, that takes away prana from you. So concentration actually gives you prana, focus gives you prana. Okay? Okay. So how is prana created in the mind? Let's let's talk about prana in the mind first, okay? So remember I was explaining previously how you have got five external senses and you have got five internal senses. So I can see with my eyes open, but I can also see with my eyes closed. So I'm looking at a lamp. I'm also looking at a lamp. So I can see with my eyes closed and I can see with my eyes open. Okay? So prana in the mind is cultivated by the five internal senses. Okay? So you have got internal sound, you have got internal touch, you have got internal sight, and if you're very focused, you also have got internal taste, and you have got internal smell. Prana in the mind is also cultivated by the external senses. So, if I go and I see, like for example this, uh, this sitting in front of a tree, just looking at nature, you know, if you want to get prana for example, that's why in India you see flowers give you a lot of prana. The natural colors. If you just sit and look at a flower, you know, that sense of sight is going to give you prana. If you listen to, to sounds, uplifting sounds, that's also going to give you prana. Okay? If you touch, massage, for example, or a hug with affection is going to give you a lot of fun. Okay? Taste, food can give you a lot of fun. And smell, the whole line of aromatherapy can give you a lot of fun. For example, sandalwood, the smell of pure sandalwood gives you a lot of fun. So that's why if you travel to India, in the temples, they always have sandalwood. And you put on your forehead, you put here and there, and then you're always smelling sandalwood. It actually gives you prana. So the five external senses will give you prana. Or they can also take away prana from you. Okay? So if you look at something horrible, if you see like an accident or something, or if you look one of those morbid, you know, uh, films, movies, you know, it's a lot of violence, a lot of pain and all that, we'll take away prana from it. Okay? Sounds, same thing. You know, sounds, music can give you prana or can take away prana from you. <laughs> I remember I was once, I was actually from here. 
this yoga teacher, she gave me a lift to go to Sydney. And then she put on her music. Her music was, still remember this, you know, heavy metal. And then the lyrics was, ah, God hates the world. God hates the world. God hates the world. What was the name of the band? System of a Down. Still remember the name. It impacted me so much, you know. And I'm sitting there, and it's like, so what do you say? Something, you know? And then she said, no, no, this, this thing, you know, I'm a little depressed. I said, yeah, okay, I can understand you know? that that kind of sound vibration actually affects it. They did a study in Detroit. They put kids to listen to one hour of rap, violent rap, before the school in the morning, and they put kids to listen to one hour of classic music, classical music. And the kids that listen to classical music, they perform three times more than those who listen to rap. It's a very detailed study conducted by Sony on the effect of sound in your mind, in front. Okay? So sound, all these senses, they can actually give you prana or they can take away prana from, from you. It depends on what habit you cultivate. It depends on what habit you have. So you can eat food that take away prana from you, or you can eat foods that give you prana. So foods that are easy to digest, they give you a lot of prana. Foods that are difficult to digest, they take away prana from you. One of the reasons why yogis are, are, don't eat meat, don't eat eggs, and those, don't eat fish, don't eat any animal, because it takes something like eight times to ten times more than energy to digest meat. That's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons. It takes a lot of energy to digest meat than to digest vegetables. So yogis, they try to clean up all the samskaras, right? That's their goal, to try to clean up their mind. All the samskaras from this life and from the previous life. They want to have a clean slate. So in order to do that, you need a lot of karma. So one of the reasons why the diet is very restricted. Okay, because what you put inside your body can either take away prana or can either give you prana. The definition of disease in yoga, in yogic medicine, is simply the absence of prana. Where prana is absent, you get sick. Where prana is there vibrant, you're actually healthy. Okay? So you can create or take away prana by the external senses, and you can also create and take away prana by your internal senses. So what meditation does, this is the key, takes the internal senses in order to create prana. That's one of the features of meditation. You use all the internal senses in order to create prana in your mind. Any questions so far? Yes. It 
it would it would balance out the negative sound. It would balance it out. It's the same thing with everything, like a bad smell. Yes. Takes away plant from you. That's actually the definition of a bad smell. Later on they found out the amount of bacteria that it has, something that is rotten, you know, the amount of bacteria that it has, and if you put that bacteria into your body, it can kill you. But the yogis, they didn't, they just, they, they, they had a more intuitive approach. If something smells bad, you don't eat it. Simple as that. So is there some sort of uh, okay, so do you have an unlimited amount of corona that you can access? <coughs> so if you did, let's say, I had bad habits for the past 26 years of my life. I don't think that's a lot. Since but you were born. Since I was born. Really? I don't know. Okay, maybe like the past 10 years. I don't know. No. Okay, five. After years. five. Okay, so five. 21. Okay, 21 years of bad. <laughs> okay, let's say I have 21 years of bad prana, and my prana is the lowest of the low. That's if I just start cultivating prana now, you can just wash that away. In 21 days, you will feel the first step. 40 days, you will feel the second level. Six months, third level. One year, fourth level. Seven years, fifth level. Seven years, every cell of your body changes, including your brain cells. So you can you get rid of all these cells that are addicted to bad to lack of prana, and you get new cells that are addicted to good prana, and then your state of energy, your state of prana changes. No matter how long or how bad your habits were before that. You could be 70 years old. It's harder when you do at such a longer age, but still. Doesn't matter. That's one of the beauties of yoga philosophy. It doesn't matter what happened in the past, because prana is constantly changing, it's constantly moving. Just by, you know, you could be going like this in the wrong direction. Okay? But if you just make a little shift, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. External technology also affects our prana? Yes. More than external technology, external uh, elements. Electricity, for example, affects your prana. Okay, electricity. That knows what they put in the air, the microphones and all that. But external elements affect your prana. If you sleep with the heater on right now, so let's say we all fall asleep for one hour or two hours, you wake up with no prana whatsoever. Yeah, try. Try going to sleep with, a, with an AC like this. I made that mistake once when I sat in a hotel. I, I was so tired, I forgot to turn it off. I woke up. Even though I slept, even though I was supposedly well rested, something, I don't know what it is, but something in these things just take away from me. Especially if you're very sensitive. And a lot of you in this room, you're very sensitive. You're going to feel a lot of things. You get affected by it. Right? You go to places, depending on the vibration of the place, it affects your prana. It depends on the energy of the place, 
if you go to a place where there's a lot of people fighting and bickering and you know that, if you're very sensitive, you go in there, you get depleted and you don't even know why. Some person that is very low in time, when you talk to them, when you talk to him or her, it can take you far away. Have you ever had this experience? You talk to somebody, you sit with someone like that, and you interact, and then it's like, oh no. But then you talk to somebody who has high crime, you come away as five. So more than technology are the external elements. But technology nowadays is part of external elements. I think, you know, all the social media takes a lot of crime from people's minds. So what I think. I've got proof, but I, it's my, my intuition, my speculation. Can a dream state Dream state? Well, a dream state is a manifestation of your unconscious. So it's a good question. What is in your unconscious mind will take away prana from you? So negative samskaras, negative impressions, negative memories that are there will permanently take away prana from you. Let's say you've been betrayed. Not you, but somebody has been betrayed. Okay? Betrayal is a very, uh, it's a very, very pernicious experience. A very destructive experience when somebody betrays you, right? That memory of it, unless you are able to forgive and let go of this, that memory of betrayal in your unconscious mind will take away from it which can be expressed in dreams too. So you may have dreams that actually take away from you. I suppose the way to recharge is to just focus on the breath and do breath work for a certain amount of time to increase. Sorry, focus on? Your breath. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Breathing. So later on, I'm just explaining the, uh, the mechanics of this, but later on we'll go more into techniques. Pranayama, breath, one of the quickest, most effective, most efficient, extremely accessible ways that we have in order to increase or access prana. That is what And done in the right way. Not for everybody. <laughs> when it comes to the doshas, how would you apply this, or it doesn't really matter, everyone is exactly the same? No. Pitas, for example, they're visual. So Pitas would use a lot of internal visualization for prana. Or they can use a lot of visualization to take away prana. So you see, when a Pita is angry and frustrated, it's because he or she are visualizing this. And I hate this guy. Why did he do this? Blah, blah, blah. You get all that into your head, that will take so much prana away from you. Well, when a pita is balanced, you know, then he or she can focus on something that gives them from. They get inspired by a vision, a project, or something. Vatas yeah. would use more sound. Okay? More auditory things. And kapas will use more touch. So it does, the proclivity changes according to your doses. But it is universal. It is not that vatas cannot use sight or don't use sight. But usually the tendency is towards, to go towards 
your element. Any more questions? So you access prana or you increase prana either, either through the external senses or through the internal senses. That's the issue. Okay? Simple to remember. So whatever you see will give you prana or take away prana or whatever you see internally will give you prana or take away prana. Okay? What mostly takes or gives away prana is what is going on internally because the internal senses actually tend to override the external senses. So this is a very important topic. The internal senses tend to override the external senses. Okay? So we could be here in Govinda Valley. Beautiful place, huh? I was just, just walking up and down here in the garden, just reflecting on some things. And I was looking National Park. The natural beauty of this place is quite amazing. Good basket, you know. West to the east, it's actually very good energy moves. Nice one. So, but you could be walking around looking at all those things. Beautiful prana environment and feel miserable. And feel sad, upset. And depressed. Doesn't make sense, but it actually makes sense because the reason why you may feel sad, upset, miserable, and depressed, it is because despite the external image having so much prana, there will be an internal image inside that is overriding it. You know? So whatever image you have, you, know, you may remember it. Somebody to betray you, or somebody to lie to you, or somebody to cheat you. you know, it will be there on the background of your mind, and that will override the plan that comes to you. So we have to be very conscious that the internal senses should not override the prana that comes from the external senses. That's one of the keys, actually. So, when it comes to karma, remember we explained karma in terms of action, memory, and desire. The negative memories will have a particular sound, a particular touch, and a particular sight, taste and smell, that will be there in an unconscious mind, and depending on how deeply negative those are, it will override the external mind. So then at that time, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter how many hugs you get, it doesn't matter how everything good is going on, that can give you karma because of the internal memory, the internal karma, the internal samskara, your senses in the background are creating these images and make you feel really bad. 
So what do you do with meditation? Is you create sounds, touch, images, taste and smell that give you prana and that will override the negative memories that take away prana. Simple. Yet really, really, really powerful. So now you understand why yogis would want to a cave and meditate there for 20 years in isolation. Why? Because they did not want to put more negative memories by interacting with the world. And two, they needed time to actually clean up all that. Clean all that up. You know, and put new memories, new things. And that goes into your cells. And after seven years, all the memories on your cells will change. You did that. Kanupadit Prabhu, who is a great bhakti yoga, he told me once that for many, many years he only ate food that is offered to God. To God. Right? So he wanted to do seven years of food that only was offered to God so that all his cells would be formed with that food. So he didn't want to go to any restaurant, wanted to go anywhere. Nothing that is not offered. And I think somebody broke broke his streak. Alguien interrumpió su o pasaron los siete años. Pasaron los siete años. So you see, he's very careful because he told me once we were talking about this in internal, I was cooking. You know, he told me, yeah, yeah. For me, it's like a goal to have every cell of my body being fed, being formed by food that is offered to Krishna. Okay. So you, you understand now uh, when you start understanding these principles, a lot of yoga habits make a lot of sense. If you don't understand this, a lot of the stuff that they do is really weird. <laughs> like, why wouldn't he like to go to a restaurant and eat and enjoy himself? Because he's got a higher goal. So, but like, after the seven years, does that mean you can go back to eat at a restaurant? Or is it... No. <laughs> <laughs> so you just after, seven, after seven years, you wouldn't want to anymore. You feel so good. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to a restaurant and eat. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to illustrate how this principle of your cells being affected by whatever you put in, either through your external senses or your internal senses, have a great effect in That's please join it in your restaurant. <laughs> Don't get stressed out of that. Okay? So any other question about this? So this is clear? So this is, yeah. One question. So if you have a very high prana and you were to go to, say, a restaurant, for example, then you would be able to get your prana back fairly quickly? Yeah. Or you so you see that. You see that in people who, in spiritual practitioners who have a lot of prana, the little things that would affect some beginner, 
doesn't affect them because of the amount of prana that they have. But that doesn't mean that they become careless about it. It's just in a particular circumstance, you know, in a particular circumstance they don't get affected, they don't, it bounces them. But they're very careful. My spiritual master, the person that I took initiation from, Kanakwanditu, he is a very strict celibate monk. Very strict. And he, I, mean, I, I traveled with him, I lived with him. I, I can testify to his personal life. In private, he's quite a strict. So I remember once we were traveling, and he had a, he had a bus, you know, an uncomfortable Indian bus. But we were traveling, and we would stop in separate, different villages in India. He did a lot of work, you know, the temples and all that. Very amazing, very inspiring. But then a lot of rich people would come and offer, giving him, give him a lot of donations and a lot of facilities too. You know, Indian rich people in India are very pious. You know, they want to help. They see that as a saintly person. They, they give a lot. <laughs> I remember, like we went into this house, you know, they were hosting us. And they were very nice, they were very gracious and all that. And they offered him this room, right? So because we were sleeping in that bus, you know, it's like, oh, it's really austere to sleep there. And I remember, yeah, we entered the room with him, and he was, uh, and he said goodbye. He was really nice to the people, you know. Yeah, you know, goodbye, like that, all this, they all went to bed. And then he just sat there on the chair. And then I was there, just waiting. Then after five minutes, he got up, went to the bus, and slept in the bus. Then I had to go and sleep in the And uh, I asked him a few days later, I didn't ask him then, but a few days later I said, Why is that? He said, No, I'm a celibate man. I didn't want to sleep there trying to take care of what goes on inside my consciousness. I'm not saying you should do that. But I'm just saying when you know these things, it makes a lot of sense what goes on into your unconscious mind. So those who practice that, they're very careful because they have to be in very high prana to be able to give, to be able to share, to be able to teach. You know, they have to have a, a very, very high prana. It's not, you know, he would sit in an audience, I remember, 20, 30,000 people would come to hear from him. You know, the amount of prana you're going to have to be able to sit down and communicate and exert influence with 30,000 people. Can you, can you even imagine 30,000 people sitting there? I have to be there, sit there, look at it, oh, wow. You know? Okay? So I have a question, so couldn't he, like, Clear the room or something, and then, like, <laughs> clear the energy, not like actually get rid of it. But isn't that what you? You can do that. He just chose to be more more pure. He's very strict. He's very. You know, he, plus, he's not attached. One thing I did learn from him is he's not attached to comfort. You know, pretty detached. Ah, bed, not bed. You know, bunk bed, floor. Who cares? But was it more for the energy that was living in the room, or more because like? The bed and everything, everything, everything in I'm, I Please understand me, I'm not proposing this. I'm just trying to illustrate how in, in yoga practice these things, they take a big 
importance once you have a very high level of prana, like Karina was saying, you know, high level of prana. He could, I've been, I've been with him on, on airplanes too, sometimes, you know, you eat something that is not offered. It's alright, you know, so you don't start, you don't die. But you know, it bounces back really quickly because you have a high level of prana. But, they, then they don't become careless, that's my point. They don't become careless. But when I, when I, when I get through that and Like for example, right now, so let's say this is Michaela, okay? So you have got, this is your level of prana, right? In yoga practice, it is not recommended that you go like this. Too much prana will affect you. You won't be able, if you don't have your thoughts right, Okay? If there is still a lot of negativity in your subconscious mind, you won't be able to handle it. Okay? So that's the what... Physical the physical, even the mental prana, you won't be able to handle it. Okay. So first we need to clear the negativity. Exactly. So the whole yoga process, that's why I, I began this with karma. Mm -hmm. Remember, you start understanding how you clear that. Okay, so I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Mundane example, nothing spiritual, but I'll give you an example. Let's say you want to get married, right? You want to have kids, right? Yeah, hopefully. Yes. Huh? Hopefully, yes. Hopefully. Yeah. No? Not really? My hands didn't say that. <laughs> 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 yes, I really want to get married. Tonight you meet someone. Yeah. You know? That gives you unconditional love. That says, you know, Michaela, and he's sincere. You know, when somebody tells you, I love you, there is a lot of prana. If it's, if, if it's true and it is sincere. <laughs> you get a lot of prana, that, that interaction, okay? You get a lot of prana. Will you be able to believe it? Somebody is saying, I love you, sincerely, unconditionally. It's very difficult to believe that. Your level of your consciousness, your mind, your level of prana has to be very high to be able to accept that. If the, if the prana level is low, you won't be able to get it. Okay, so you're right. Your mind and your body can take certain amount of prana according to your evolution. There is one exception. There is only one exception, exception to this. It's in the bhakti literature, it's called the sharanagati, or 
in yoga terms, Ishwara Pranidhan. Ishwara Pranidhan, which is a complete surrender to God. The prana that comes from surrendering to God. You can see? It's called, in, in yogic terms, it's called Ishwara. Pranidhan. Pranidhan. Which means surrender to God. The prana that you get from that surrender to God, it's unlimited. And it doesn't matter where you are, what you do. So you see, for example, in the Bible, in the New Testament, Paul, right? So, you know, he was not a good person. He used to kill people. You know? He used to kill other Christians. Right? It wasn't very nice around killing people and doing all kinds of things. But one day, Jesus comes to him and he surrenders completely. Just one day, his life is changed. And so when you read the yogic literature, when you read, read the yogic literature, everybody is very careful. So some yoga schools, they don't teach you pranayama, for example. So Patavi Joyce, Ayanda is also. Some of them, they don't teach you pranayama because they, if your body is not used to high prana, it will actually be bad for you. But if you read the actual yoga literature, the prana that comes from Ishwara Pranidhan, anybody can do it. You could be the most degraded person on the planet, it doesn't matter. So that's the only exception. Okay? So I'm wondering about the relationship between things like they give you a dopamine rush? Yeah, prana, dopamine is prana. Yeah. It's the neurobiological equivalent of prana. Right. Dopamine, endorphins, all the good neurochemicals, they are the neuro expressions of prana. So would you say that things that give you a gradual increase of that are better than things that give you like a quick hit because you come back down? Oh. And also because your mind can take it. Your mind cannot take it. So the calm down occurs because your mind cannot take it and cannot maintain that level of calm. Drugs, for example. Cocaine, for example. Gives you high calm, right? But neither your body, neither your mind is used to that level of calm. So the calm down is very strong. So when you look at uh, yoga practices like asana, pranayama, and the yamas and niyamas, when you look at the yamas and niyamas, they actually, yamas and niyamas give you mental prana. Asanas and pranayama, they give you physical prana. And they give you, so, when you do the yamas and the yamas, that kind of lifestyle, it gives you dopamine very steadily every single day. To that, you add a practice, add a practice of asana and pranayama. Now you get the physical prana along with the mental prana. Okay, then after some time, your brain is just conditioned to issue dopamine, endorphins, etc., etc., etc. That's how it works. Then you can deal with a lot of tragic events, depression, the past, sadness, you can 
diseases, sicknesses, you can deal with all that from another platform, from another level, much easier, much more effective. Because now, both your mind and your body are filled with time. And on the neuro, to use the neurons, the neurobiochemical uh, language, your, your brain is now filled with dopamine. So, taking the biochemical uh, expression, it is so different to deal with a challenge when your brain is full of, of dopamine than your friend when your brain is depleted in dopamine. The difference between night and day. So the job is, you're like, somehow, they somehow understood this. I don't have, I mean, if you believe they came from upstairs, you know, from something higher, that's okay. You know? But otherwise, to do this just on their own, I don't know how. But somehow they arrived at this and it's very complete. It's like quite impressive actually, the way they did it, you know. So much so that so many thousand years later, we're here in the south of Sydney, exploring the same concepts. Okay? Any other questions? So when you say surrender to God, like, how, like, what do you mean, like, is it as in, like, become fully, like, religious, like, I'm just kind of, like, 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 Look at it this way. You could see this world in only two, in only two ways. And I'm, I'm going to take a very secular point of view, okay? Just a very universal point of view. I'm not going to take any religious, not even a spiritual point of view. To actually establish God, okay? So you can look at this world, at this life, at this world actually, into two ways. A place of things, or a place of action. Think about it. These are things, right? Action, activity, is separate from the things. So action implies consciousness. So when you start exploring consciousness, life, then you have to question the origin of life. Where does consciousness come from? Because this world is not a place of things. If you look at, it, at, at, at this world as a, as, a, as a place of things, then there is really no life. I can do whatever I want. It's just a thing. I can do whatever I want with partner. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. I can hit him now. He can hit me. You know, we can do all okay. there's, there's no. You understand? There is no limit. But it's just a thing. If you treat things at this world as things. But when there is activity, when there is action, then you gotta, the first thing you've got to question is, what's the right action? What consciousness takes on the right action? So when you start, when you delve into consciousness, then you ask, what's the reading of consciousness? So when we talk about God, we talk about the origin of consciousness. 
the origin of life. That's what it's about. When Bhakti Yoga, you see that that's the kind of yoga that went deep into trying to understand that origin of consciousness. Most religions do. You read the Bible, the Bible is the great. You read a lot of Jewish traditions and all that. They also went deep into it. If you study the history of religion, actually, you know, nowadays the world you know, looks upon religion as bad, but you know, especially the millennials or these new generations, but it's because there is no understanding, no actual understanding. Look at it this way. So we are very proud of our scientific advancement, right? All of our technology. And that's actually what makes us, you know, try to minimize the existence of a higher consciousness. But this technological advancement, the Industrial Revolution, whatever, you know, technology we have in, this, in the Western world, was made only possible because of Christianity. For centuries, Christianity created order in Europe. Before that, it was just complete chaos. All the Vikings, all the Visigoths, people just killing each other, raping, I mean, there was no... It basically, it was a very animalistic society. We went there, I'm stronger than you, you're weaker, that's it for you. I'll kill you, I'll break you, I'll take away all your stuff. In that kind of consciousness, there is no, how you call it, uh, there is no order. And when there is no order, and when there is no, when there is no order, when there is chaos, scientific revolution is impossible. So here comes Christianity, and I'm not saying that everything Christianity did is right. They did some atrocious things. Okay? But they did also create a certain order. Are you okay there? Because I can hear you. They also did create a particular order which gives rise to all the scientific advancement. So there is a role there in higher consciousness. One of the things that does higher consciousness does do is create order in life. So when we talk about God, we refer to the higher consciousness on a superficial level. So surrendering to God, when we're talking, we're surrendering to higher consciousness. We put aside our chaos for a higher order. That's the first thing. And this can go on and on and on and on. But that's what we talk about. So you will find people that surrender to that higher order. You will find people that surrender to God. There is a lot of prana that comes in. A lot of prana. So but are you defining from like the oneness when you like... What oneness? Well, like, you know, like we're all one. Are we? And then, well, to me, <laughs> that, I mean, that's just sort of like how I see. Like everything is just one. But so, what Everything is one, but we're different, too. Yeah, yeah, but we're all connected because we all are sort of like... But that's what I mean, like, I, when you mean surrender to God, you create this division between, like, that and us. I would argue that we're not really that oneness, as nice as it's a New Age philosophy, as nice as it sounds, I would argue that that is a fantasy. 
that we don't have experience of oneness. Look at me, I'm talking to you. You're an individual person. An individual consciousness. Now, yes, I have read and I've heard about this principle of how everything is one, but I would argue that really we don't have that experience. So I would just say that's a nice thing to think about. But when I'm talking, what I'm talking about is you as an individual. So if we get a little bit real, right? You're an individual, right? You're Alejandro from Colombia. You've got your desires, your memories, your actions, right? I don't think there will ever be a time when your desires, memories, and actions will become one with mine. On a practical level, practical. I'm not talking about what's going to happen after that. We're talking in this world, okay? So what I'm aiming at is that I know that I'm upsetting a few people. We get alert in here. I'll take your question, sir. I'm just simply talking on, a, on an experiential level. Exper my experience is me and you are not ever going to become one. Okay? Just on an experiential level. So therefore, I don't go into that realm. I just go into the realm of experience. But you can experience a higher consciousness. You can experience order in that consciousness. So you, when you believe in God, you begin from that principle. You understand? You don't begin with the principle of oneness. Because actually the oneness... Again, I know there is a lot of proposals and philosophy about that, but I don't see that as experiential. So in, from my perspective, philosophy must be based on experience. Can, I cannot just sit down and imagine things. Let's let's hear from that side. Who raised the hand over there? Yeah. No, what we all want is just from the human aspect. We're all human. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But we're individuals. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So what I mean, yeah, I totally agree. We we, we share a collective agreement as human as, as human beings. Seven billion people on the planet. Seven billion people. We have a collective agreement. I'm just talking of the New Age philosophy that. You know, we're all one and there is no individuality and therefore there is no God. From a perspective, I don't see that as an experience. We never, okay, to put it more bluntly, we never lose our individuality in this lifetime. Never. Did you have a question? <laughs> <laughs> So there's relative reality and there's ultimate reality. And ultimate reality is that we all have our consciousness inside of us that connects us all together. So we are all one, but we have to live in relative reality, which means that we, we have to understand our individual differences. Yeah, but that concept of absolute reality as being on one is not experiential. You can experience it. You have never, you, you will. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you will never experience it in this lifetime. 
the last of your individual. I think, <coughs> I think you can experience ultimate reality through meditation. And no, no, I, I'm not saying you cannot experience ultimate reality through meditation. I'm talking about the principle of losing your individuality. Yeah. Of not, so that you will never experience. In this lifetime, experientially speaking, not philosophically speaking, not on some uh, intellectual level. I'm just saying on an experiential level, you and me, we're going to die as individuals. No? I just... Is that speaking? I just, I don't know, like, the more that you go into it, the more you start to see the things that connect me and you are way greater than the things that... I am not denying the connection. And then those things that yeah. actually separate us actually start to make no difference. Like they, they don't matter anymore. I am not denying the connection. The connection is there. What I am actually saying is the loss of individuality. The, 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 how you call it, the reason why we connect it is because we are two individuals. If there was no, if there was only one, there's no connection. It's just one like thing. Exactly. So therefore, my point is, when I'm talking about God, to go back to, to the thing, I'm talking about individual consciousness, and I'm talking of the origin of that individual consciousness. That's what I'm talking about. Go answer Alejandro's question. Yes? Could the word God just be replaced with the word love? You could replace it with many things. <laughs> Or just using a term in the English language, that's all, you know? I mean, I know the word God in, uh, in the Western world is uh, biased towards religious dogma. But I'm actually going beyond that. I'm just, uh, also, I'm also bringing a point, actually. I'm explaining to you what yoga philosophy talks about in terms of prana. Even in yoga schools, they have got different concepts of God. Very different concepts of God. One of those concepts is that, that actually there is a homogeneity. So the Advaita school of thought, which is actually quite prominent. You know? So yes, there is. There is different layers, different things. I'm, I'm referring to the origin of consciousness. That's what I'm actually referring to. But uh, the idea is this, the idea is this. So to, 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 to download it a little bit more, the idea is this. So you, I find myself that whatever endeavors I have made, whatever efforts I have made, 
they are not enough to create the kind of life that I want to experience. Okay? So I find myself at a point where I feel that there is a truth, there is a consciousness that is higher than me. And I put myself aside. And I surrender to that higher consciousness. That's the short point. That's actually how it works. You, know, you, you, put, you put yourself so, to go to the experience of the Bible, right? Soul, right? The guy, he wasn't a good person, killing people, torturing people, doing all kinds of things. Imagine all those samskaras that are there in his head. So at one point he goes, man, like, I'm just me as, a, as an individual. I can't get out of this. So then he has this revelation of Jesus. And it is that higher consciousness. Forget about Jesus, forget about that. It is a higher consciousness that enables him to get out of it. So that's the principle of Ishwara. To put it in more practical terms. Something higher than you. Something bigger than you. And then like Mitch says, you open your, your heart. The same thing happens when you fall in love. Then you cannot fall in love unless you respect the other person. Unless you see something bigger than you and the other person. Yeah, there is something there that they're bringing to your life that you go, okay, I'm going to open my heart. Up. I'm talking about healthy family. Unhealthy is a different story. It's, you know, that's a healthy thing, right? You see, there is something that is, you know, that is going to. Yeah, that you are able to surrender to, that you are able to open your heart. So it's the same principle in Ishara Paramitas. And this is a topic that is discussed tremendously in a lot of details for over thousands of years. So the experience of surrender, that would be like very relaxing. Like Initially, not. <laughs> The experience of initial surrender is it's actually very intense and very extreme. You know? I mean I can tell you from my own personal experiences, like what did you want to say? The experience of surrender is the experience where you put yourself aside. That's extremely Yeah, and that's extremely actually relaxing. I and mean, it's extremely right. like you put aside your mental because I just physically put aside everything. And it's like Good on you. For me, that experience was very intense and very happy. It turned my world upside down. But the aftermath was very peaceful and very happy. The aftermath. But maybe for you it was it. That, that's okay. But the aftermath, it is coming in this. That's true. What is it? Sashantin Amrigitsuki. Bhagavad Gita says, when you surrender, you know, you attain true peace, true shanti. Okay? Yes, anybody else? You? I was going to ask. When you had that experience, was it gradual or was it quite sudden? 
It was both, actually. I was working up to it. You know, like, at one point, uh, I was intellectually working for it, trying to understand you know, the principle behind the model. So it goes you know, to your head, start working for it. But then at one point, one night, boom! This, this happened. And then you, you get into your consciousness and yes, there is something higher. Sometimes we get stuck in our own self, in our own ego, in our own stuff. Well, um, and once you surrendered, did you not ever revert back? Not in the surrender, no. Yeah. Once the surrender is there, the surrender is there. No. Not in the surrender. Because what happens is this. Okay, we can, I didn't mean to go to this, into this topic, but we can. What happens is this. Look. It's like um, it's like you walk through life, right? And nobody gives you a manual of life. Right? But and life is actually very complex when you look at it on a certain level. So imagine like how you call it that. What's uh, very difficult? The Mars rover. The robot, right? That is a Mars right Probably not. So imagine I bring the Mars rover right now here because it's not working properly. And I give it to Mel. I said, Mel, you gotta fix this. This is not working. She's got no, she wouldn't know. Excuse you, I might know. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. <laughs> no, you wouldn't what to do in the list, right? She would be completely lost and completely perplexed. And if her life depended on it, she would be in complete anxiety and fears and chaos and whatnot. Because you have to fix the master, right? Complex, right? But what about the engineers that know how to deal with it? And they're, they're sitting at the back of the room. And you go around, I admit, you better surrender. Please help me. Please. That's enough. And you put yourself aside, you put your ego aside, you put all this stuff aside, and you go. So the issue of the like, is like, okay, please. And there is something, and that is unexplainable by physiological phenomena, there is something that responds to that. When you go, okay, please, you know, like, I really want, like, please help when you get that surrender, something, someone responds to that. Now we can call it love, we can call it universe, we can call it life, we can call it all kinds of things, but when you, on a first level, when you speak about that, you, you speak about that higher consciousness that reciprocates with you. That establish a relationship with. So every religious tradition, every saint, every sage, everybody who has actually gone through this, they will they will talk to you about it. 
that something, somebody reciprocates with you, that reciprocity. When you actually sit and you go, please. Why not? It brings you humility. <laughs> Think about it. Again, so let's say Mel was a scientist, a Mars rover scientist, you know, and I had to fix it. I could go, hey Mel, can you fix this? But I could go, please, could you help me? It's also that humble attitude to recognize, you know, that we are not unlimited. To recognize that we are limited. That, that humble attitude also helps you connect with something higher. Because you look at it, our life is very, we are very limited. Like I know a lot of you want to go to the toilet now. You can't control your bladder. So that attitude is like you surrender. Why not? Humility. <clears throat> I'm saying the words that come out of you at these moments, they are just the right words. I mean, usually they are in the sense of like, yeah, I need help. I need you. I need. And you're kind of open in that moment when you kind of like say that you need help, and if you're not doing that, you're kind of stopped. So you can't actually Yeah. Okay, but going back to this topic. I didn't want to go into issue of pronouns. It's just that Michaela makes this question, so I was trying to answer <laughs> this. So Michaela's fault. <laughs> but you get a lot of prana from that surrender. Thank you for asking. <laughs> you do. You do get a lot of prana from that surrender. When you actually put the amount of prana that you get is, you know, another level. But going back to the prana that you get from the senses, from the internal representation. So now we'll do a practice, and we'll do a few practices on prana, okay? That will help you out. But two minutes toilet, and we come back. <laughs> Yeah. There is a lot of uh, brain scanning that 
Rejuvenation. A lot of your prana comes from there. Yeah. So all the are better. <laughs> yeah. That's why how you call it uh, this civilization they settled in warmer climates. Or they settled in cold climates in Europe.
Imagine you see, in my, in my experience, the biggest mountain that I had seen was like this, right? That's the biggest mountain I had seen till then. But when I saw the Kanchanjungan, it was like this. That proportion. To this day, I still see, visualize that Himalayan mountain. And you get a lot of karma, a lot of energy. And you see it only for half hour. Because when the sun comes up, then it starts melting the snow, and then it gets misty again. So there is half hour when the sun is rising that you see. So I haven't seen the Everest, the Everest is river, but at Kanchanjungan Mountain, it's so, like, the presence, it was so massive and so solid, so much strength there. <laughs> so Krishna, the Bible will give a sense of all the mountains and the Himalayas for a reason. So, anyway, think now of one element of nature that when you visualize it, it gives you a lot of energy. Okay, give it 30 seconds. Okay, we'll begin. Stella, what's your element? Ocean. Ocean, good. Moon. Moon. Ocean. Ocean. Sunrise. Sunrise. 
Three. So in, in India they have what is called the banyan tree. Have you ever heard of a banyan tree? You can Google it, a banyan tree. Banyan? Banyan, B-A-N-Y-A-N. So when I lived in Mayapur, there was a town called Navadip. The trunk of the banyan tree was twice its yoga home. The trunk. The trunk was twice its yoga home. And the branches, extended maybe twice the radius of Govindavan, maybe three times. No, it will extend and then another branch drops and there's a whole market under the Navadip market underneath there and in the middle of the trunk there is a Kali temple. The temple of Kali the In which country is that? In India. It's called the Paramatara temple. I used to go there and we used to shop by bananas. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So trees, actually a lot of them, the vine trees, a lot of crown. Okay, so everybody remember your elements, right? Good. Okay, we stand up now. So what we're going to do is we're going to practice a simple visualization. What we're going to do is we're going to see that image that gives you a lot of prana. So you can see the ocean, you can see the moon, you can see the trees, you can see the mountains, you can see whatever it is that gives you, just see it in your mind's eye, okay? And if you're not so good at visualizing, try to feel it and try to hear it, okay? So what you're doing is this, you're putting imprints into your unconscious mind of prana. That's what we're doing, okay? So close your eyes, everybody. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. Take a deeper inhale again. Exhale. Take a deeper inhale again. Exhale. Bring your presence to this very moment. Feel your body. 
bring your attention to this moment. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Again. Visualize it. See this element. Feel it. Feel the energy, feel the prana that comes from this element of nature. And relax. And you can open your eyes. So in some cases when you do this, you're going to feel a little bit tired. You can even, you're going to even yawn a little bit. Okay? You see? <laughs> Carlos yawning. So it's because you're, when you're inserting prana into your unconscious mind, the first reaction of your body is to resist it. You resist it with a little bit of time, okay? a little bit of things. Okay? So the, the creation of prana is you go beyond that. That's your first step of creating prana inside you. Okay? A little bit of time, a little bit of yon, now you transcend it. So another thing that is very important in the creation of prana is your intention. You have to understand this. Your intention will decide how much energy you feel right now. It's just an intention. You can give that order to your body that goes... You know, one trillion cells in your body, one trillion cells are waiting your command. They're waiting for you to say, okay, we're going to feel prana now, now. So it's an intention. And I will practice. So we'll take prana a little bit higher. Okay, so close your eyes. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. <coughs> Deep inhales again. Exhale. Deep inhale again. Exhale. 
Take a deep inhale again. body to feel. Prana is what allows you to actually heal your body in a physical way. But prana is also what allows your mind to feel. Okay. One of the most common and most effective cures for depression is running, walking. Because the act of running, the act of walking gives you time. Okay, breathing gives you time. So I know some of you are feeling a little bit uncomfortable. That's okay. Because you are not used to putting that intention in your mind and of your body. Often, of feeling kind of, often we wait for something external to happen for us to feel that. Right. Some reason outside. Then we give ourselves permission to feel that kind. The sports or something. Why do people like sports so much? Last week my son told me they were having state of origin, right? People get all excited. Huh? Adrenaline. Yes, but you also get you also do we did this, we did that. You didn't do anything. <laughs> you didn't do anything. You were just sitting on your couch watching TV, but you give yourself that permission to go, okay. I feel like that. So we wait for something external to give us a permission to feel proud. So in yoga, they said, don't wait for something external. You can give yourself permission right now. You can allow yourself. You, know, you can 
really do this. You don't need for something external. It's just an intention. Okay, that will heal whatever is there in your mind that you know brings you sadness. Is that intention? And then you don't need caffeine. You don't need anything outside to feel empty. What to speak of drugs? You don't need any of that stuff. You can actually take full control of that prana that is flowing inside you. And, you know, if you believe in God, God has given you that faculty of nature or love or whatever. You have been given that faculty to go, okay, I can access this prana, I can feel this prana. Okay? We, again, we get up. So I'm not feeling a little bit of pain, but sometimes there is a level of discomfort. And what we, what, what you do, what we do, when do, when we give this intention, we begin to create a new reality. Because now you're no longer at the mercy of external elements. So when yoga philosophy says you can create your reality, it begins here, it begins now, with the creation of karma, by your intention. Okay? Close your eyes. Bring your attention, bring your presence to this very moment. Again, take a deep inhale. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. And again, visualize that element of nature. Relax. 
you can open your eyes. Okay, we're gonna do this two more times. But now, again, I know some of you may feel discomfort, some of you may feel really fired up. Just have this intention of taking this to another level. Nothing is gonna happen, it's very safe. But there, to actually feel and access that prana. So you can visualize that element, you breathe it in. So Ravindranath Tagore, a poet from India, he has this point called stream of life, prana. He says, the same stream of the life that runs through my veins night and day runs through the world in rhythmic measures. It is the same life that shoots in joy through the dust of the earth in numberless blades of grass and breaks into tumultuous waves of leaves and flowers. It is the same life that is wrought in the ocean cradle of birth and death, in ebb and in flow. I feel my limbs are made glorious by the touch of this world of life, and my pride comes from the life throb of Hades dancing in my blood in this very moment. So that's what prana is. You feel this life throb of Hades dancing in your blood this very moment. You feel that prana that you know breaks in joy, shoots in joy through the dust of the earth, becomes numberless blades of grass, breaks into tumultuous waves of flowers. All that prana that flows through the universe flows through you. And it's not just a philosophical concept, it's actually a scientific concept. All the prana in the universe flows through you. So all you have to do is feel it, access it. Okay? So we close our eyes again. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. Visualize your element.
the prana that flows through the universe also flows through me. Feel how every 
selling your body is dancing with this crowd. with your prana, feel it, you can relax, but even relax, you can still feel the prana flowing through you. And just remember this truth, all the prana that flows through the universe, flows through you. And if you He is the source of prana. She is the source of prana. And you can connect with that source of prana whenever you want. So take a deep inhale. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. And, and we put our, pray, our hands into prayer position.
Then we go back to our seats. A deep inhale, exhale, a deep inhale again, exhale, just stay here in this moment.
be present. So, this is an experience of time that's accessible, that's good. Imagine how would your life be? You have this experience every day. Imagine one year of this experience every single day. Imagine two years. So what's the day today? 5th of July, 2021. Imagine 5th of July, 2022. And not one day has passed that you haven't decided and make taking that step to feel prana, to feel that love in your life. Imagine ten years, two thousand and thirty one. Two thousand and thirty one is going to come. One day you will be sitting and you will think or remember, oh, today is the 5th of July, 2031. It will come. So what's the difference? But over these next 10 years, you're going to feel pride, you're going to feel love and love. Future. Our choice. I'll see you on my side. Thank you.